0: Most are afraid of unknown depths, skirting shores thinking world flat, and with the island girls in celebration of new religion. Nobody led me, or said this way, I sailed alone on makeshift raft with wind as companion. Wait for deliverance, confidence enough to assess new disposition. Seekers of lost paradise may seem fools to those who never sought the other worlds. Welcome to Momentary Zen with Zen Garcia. Visit www.fallenangels.tv. You're listening to Revolution Radio. The Seekers of Lost Paradise hoping to cross mountains in order to breach the next horizon, in discovery of the forbidden jewel, are hunters of lost estate. Many are lost along the way, stranded by the temptations of carnality, aligned to temper even those most dedicated in pursuit of kingdom where are you going running to stand still so few of even the far walkers can grasp the dialectic fashioned as mine control prison even those privileged with instruction and advantage are lost to resolution which connecting all dots grants one insight into revelation which unlocking all speculation illuminates the real secrets of why we are here where we are going and what we are here to do welcome friends i'm your host zen garcia this is momentary zen here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, and I thank you for joining me for the next two hours of discourse. It's going to be an exciting show. I've got some very interesting news. Um, I'm going to be talking about some things that you have never heard about, um, in specific The Chronicle of Longinus and my work with the Thracian Chronicles. Uh, Welcome, Zipster and Kathy Jean and Patrick and Dorian and Lioness and um, Omega and Mr. Rogue, Good to see you, brother, and Zipster and Cortek and Wally and uh, Genius and all Cindaloo and all the rest of you that are in chat room that aren't in immediate scroll, it's a, a pleasure to fellowship with you and to share time with you. But, um, and so I'll explain more as far as the text that I'm going to be covering and sharing from this evening. It's not available, so you might as well not even look for it uh, as far as a google search because there probably will be little if anything available um, in discussion on it and what i'm going to be speaking about this evening will actually be the first time it is presented in radio fashion to an english-speaking world the source references that I'm going to be sharing are found only in the Bulgarian language as being the um, as being the inheritors of the Thracian culture and civilization which uh, are very ancient people and their mythology and their ancient lore go back to 2,000 years before even that of the ancient Egyptians and the, the Sumerians. And the mythology is also connected to um, what are the forebears of modern culture and civilization. The Thracians believe themselves to have been apportioned off from the original people, um, Adam and Eve, and those that had once lived where the North Pole now is and that paradise is believed to have been located in that area. Um, And there's even the science that has come down to us and which talks about how that particular area had once been uh, tropical and temperate and in, in that it is no longer in, in that manner, but that the mythologies, the stories, and I recently had done a show on this talking about the connections with paradise, the throne of God, and other aspects of like the mythology surrounding the Hyperboreans um, and so many cultures worldwide, even like with Shambhala and Mount Meru, the magnetic mountain, the pole star. Um, Even in scriptures, it speaks about the throne of God and that the north, the sides of the north, being where the mountain of God is located and how, supposedly, also, there is this, this uh, that's where the the ladder, the portal, or the opening, where the angels are allowed to go to and fro between the upper heavens and that of the lower realms, that that is the place where, this dimensional lapse this over worthy veils the the crack between the worlds um, meets and overlaps and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that this evening as well um, because I'll be doing a follow-up show this coming Saturday to elaborate on the material that I have that confirms the premise of all of that and there's actually a book that was written in the 1800s called the uh called paradise the cradle um cradle of the north something along those lines if you keyword search it you'll probably be able to find it but it was written by a author named william warren if i'm correct and the book itself is like 400 plus pages and is um, incredibly well written in tying together so many different aspects of the many cultures that talk about and share, um, share the mythologies. You know, there, of course, there's different names and different characters, but the underlying story is similar in connecting all of them together. And so I've been doing a lot of introspection and writing and reading uh, in this regard. And so the show that I did previously was on on the connections with Paradise and the Throne of God and also with Hyperborea. You can find it on YouTube under my Endeavor Freedom channel. And I will, you know, I will, again, I'll be doing a follow-up this upcoming Saturday. But just to give you an idea of one of the other things that I'm involved in, which I've spoken about it previously, was my work on the Thracian Chronicles. And I shared that with you. Um, talk about the work of a uh, Dr. Stephen Guide, who wrote a series of books called The Thracian Script Decoded, where he was able to study the art and some of the, um, the mythologies of the Thracian people. And previous to his work, uh, the archaeologists and these linguists and various scientists, they did not believe that the Thracian people had a a written script at all. And so it wasn't until he was able to decrypt and to crack the code as far as their language that he was able to show that even the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic system was based upon this much older Thracian script. And so he was able to prove that you know that there was this connection. And because the Thracian people preceded the ancient Egyptians and also that of the Sumerians, um, he was able to show how it was that this language ended up being and located in the Middle Eastern area, but that it had descended and migrated down from the high reaches of the northern latitudes down through Middle Europe um, and then reaching into the Middle Eastern area, which in and of itself is a very fascinating story. But um, in decrypting the Thracian script, Dr. Guide was also able to translate um, a series of texts called the Thracian Chronicles, which are about 700 plus pages and which comprise many stories. And the other interesting aspect of the Thracian people is that they were the um, they were ancient Christians who, in their mythology, had prophetic works which spoke about and prophesied the coming of Christ and his incarnating into flesh form. And what's interesting and also very important and critical for the world to understand about the statement that I just made is that most of the mainstream archaeologists and the scientists as far as the linguists, they believe the biblical narrative to have been passed down and based upon the Sumerian mythology, which those of you that have read the, the, the Sumerian myths, you understand that they are the stories As written by the, uh, or the written down by the scribes of the, or by the so called the gods themselves, the Anunnaki, Enke and Ia, those being the foremost, uh, but also many other of these pagan gods or goddesses, and that the mythologies are largely based upon the oral traditions that were passed down to the scribes and to the priests of these various Anunnaki gods. And so, um, again, the world and history cites that the biblical narrative and even the stories of Moses uh, including the Torah, that they were based upon what was then assumed and presumed to be the much older Sumerian account, which when you understand and and um, study who the Thracian people are and the, you know that they preceded either the ancient Egyptians and the Sumerians and that they were Christian in their belief and have these very ancient prophecies of the coming of Christ well then you understand that there's no way that the biblical narrative and the stories and the um, you know as far as the the lore the ancient lore which is uh, basically the foundation for the Christian belief system and faith uh, there's no way that it could have been molded from or counterfeited from the the Sumerian tradition, which is absolutely important. Uh, hello, Stephanie. Good to have you here, sister. And so um, that's also one of the reasons why it's important for us to, as far as myself and my friends that are working on this material it's one of the reasons why we are trying very hard to bring this information forward and to make it available to you um as, as soon as we can all right um the now as far as the other thing in the, the what I'm going to be covering this evening is called the Chronicle of Longinus. And so in the Chronicle of Longinus, it's the story of the Thracian soldier who was the Roman guard that had pierced the side of Christ and which, you know, um, it was after Christ bled into his eye. And that his blind eye became healed. And after he was witness to all of the um, the signs in the heavens and in the earth, that he became a disciple of Christ. And he knew that they had murdered the Son of God. And so it in and of itself is a very interesting story. And also... Um, it provides confirmation, another eyewitness account as to the, you know, as far as a contemporary, a person that had lived and witnessed and can give testimony as to who Yeshua was while he was here and his life while he was here. And so all of this is also very important, and so we are working um, diligently. I've even put uh, a couple of my books on hold in order to bring this information forward. Which the um, the the three stories that we're going to be publishing in the the first book, which I'm hoping to have it done by summer are called the book of Atamanua, which many of you have heard me um, do that particular series you can find an eight part eight different one and a half hour and two hour shows where I read from that particular text and share it with with you as listening audience and that was actually the The first time that this information, this particular book, was made available to um, the public as a whole. And so tonight, you know, I'm going to be reading from another one of the texts. And then the book of Navi, just to give you an understanding, a little bit of background as far as what that text is about. It gives description and shares the account of... Orphi, who Orphi was the um, the priest that was alive during the time of King Sista- Sistalkes, who was the Thracian king, the, Tha- the Thracian king that was alive during. This goes back fifty five hundred B.C., and he, he was the king during the time that. Um, that Orphi was priest, and he, they had brought forth and, and somehow had written the account of these very ancient stories and made them available to their peoples. And even at, in their time, these stories were ancient and preceded the flood of Noah's day. And so it was... Um, these stories go way way back as I said they you know uh, like the book of Adam and Ua is from the life of Adam and Eve and it's a testimony that was shared to with the children of the line of Adam and they were passed down from generation to generation until they um, were given to Noah And Noah was able to share them with Shem following the flood. And so these stories are connected all the way back to the very beginning, which when I reference the beginning, it is actually uh, talking, I'm actually referencing the modern era with the creation of Adam and Eve. Not the pre-Adamic or the prior times. What I reference as the prior times. And so, when we come back from the first break, I will start reading from the Chronicle of Longinus, and it's not as extensive as the Book of Adam and Ua. Like the Book of Adam and Ua, which is the you know basically the Thracian uh, translation, English translation for the Book of Adam and Eve, the name Adam and Ua is the name of Adam and Eve in, in the English um, translation of the Thracian, the, which is the Bulgarian language. And um, that particular text is over 80 chapters. And I've also, in translating that text, I spent a lot of time in studying the other ancient accounts which there are many um just to name a few the apocalypse of moses the first and second book of adam and eve which are part of the forgotten books of eden collection and the um no, there's many the de- the conflict uh, of Adam. Um, the Vitae, which is the Latin version, the Vitae of Adam and Eve, and so there's there's many different accounts. There's a gr- a gr- a Gregorian account, not Gregorian, but um, a Georgian. There's a Georgian account, and also a armenian account and i can't remember the names of those currently at this time but there are like seven different ancient accounts of the life of adam and eve but the thracian book of adam and eve is more ancient than all of those and it's my opinion that it is the original source for even all of those very ancient accounts and that um it's also unique in that it has more chapters and, and um, as far as the first book of Adam and Eve. It, the second book of Adam and Eve is um, a whole separate, which is not included in the Thracian account. But as far as the, just the story of Adam and Eve and not their children, the Thracian account has more chapters and has more detail in the very beginning and the very ending which makes it unique among amongst all the available stories about the life of Adam and Eve and so I'm excited to bring this information forth because I believe it will greatly bless the world and I consider myself I consider it a great honor to have um, befriended the the guys that are translating this this text, and I'm so grateful to the Most High God that He has allowed me to be chosen by them to um, to collaborate and to work with them in this regard in bringing forth this information. I'm I'm excited to share it with you as world, and I think that especially for those of you that are students of the gospel, students of the scripture, that it's going to bless you in a way that you can't even imagine right now. And as I said, you know, um, our hope is to publish the first three stories by spring. I, I am currently done with the the first translation of the Book of Adam and Eve, but um, the other two we are working on, and I'm going to share with you when we return from the break the chapters that I currently have on the Book of Longinus, because we're not—they're not finished in translating that text—and um, and also know that I have not myself. Begun to work on the translation of it. And so as I read it, you must keep in mind that the individual that translated this text, English is not his first language. And he's not, um, you know, it, because it's not his first language, some of the translations may not be correct or they may not, the syntax may be off in such way that, because it's my responsibility to, um, make the translations read correctly for the English speaking world. And so that's my part in this. And so they translate it from the, you know, the, the Thracian, the Bulgarian language into English. And then it's my, my job to smooth that out and to make it, um, you know, make it uh, easily understandable for the English-speaking world and the public at large. And because I have not had chance to do this with this particular text, there may be errors um, or, you know, it may sound funny initially in the read, but, but I do still want to share it with you. All right, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, for those that have access to the chat room, I posted a link to Dr. Guide's book on, that he wrote um, on the Thracian script decoded. There are three books available. Uh, only the first two have a portion of the text which is written in English. The rest of it is written in Bulgarian, but the 30 pages that are included in English uh, and that have the English translation, they explain to you how he proceeded in breaking uh, the code and in discovering that the Thracian people had a very ancient language. And so that particular link gives you the full script, the full text of the Thracian Script Decoded book one. And so you can read it for yourself. It's um, absolutely interesting to learn about. And, um, you know, I was absolutely blown away by it when I was first introduced to the information. And since I have been looking into the culture and the people and the mythologies, um, the ancient lore, which is connected to them. Um, it's, you know, it's a it's a piece of the puzzle that has been excluded up until just recent times. Uh, also, I'm going to post a link in the chat room to a show that I did a long time ago here on Revolution Radio, Um, where I talked about the Thracian scripts and also the book of Adam and Ua, Uh, and I shared the story of that particular text, Um, and I talked about and even read a portion, uh, a few chapters from that particular book, but, um, and you can, as I said, if you just look up The Book of Atom and Ua, spelled A-T-A-M and Ua, E-U-A. And either my name, Zen Garcia, or search under my YouTube channel, Endeavor Freedom, you should be able to find the eight-part series that I did on the full text of the Thracian Book of Atom and Eve, Atom and Ua. And so if you're interested in that text, uh, you want to hear it. Uh, As I said, it filled up eight shows that were one and a half to two hours long each. That's how extensive the text is. It's an incredible uh, resource. And as I said, I'm excited to bring it forth to, to you as the public and the listening audience. And you're very welcome. And a um, couple of the comments previously, and all of you, you know, and I myself acknowledge how greatly uh, blessed I am to be part of this um, this work, and I consider it a great honor to to do and to help in the translations. And I also, um, I, I, I'm personally just excited in being able to read all of the different stories. And I think that, you know, as I share more and more, you yourself will also become more and more excited and will anticipate the release of this information. That's how incredible it is. And so with no further ado, let's go ahead and get into the Chronicle of long also know that there are a lot of footnotes and I'm not going to go into all of that I'm not going to read matter of fact I'm not going to read any of it but when we present this book in published form it will include all of that and as I said, there's an extensive amount of footnotes and that my friend in translating the text, he, um, he provides all of these different footnotes on how the Thracian language is translated and what the words mean, which for a linguist, I mean, this is absolutely uh, priceless information. Um, which I've always been interested in the various languages, but uh, but for somebody that has made that their profession and done, you know, has done many years of study in that area, you're just going to be absolutely blown away by this information. All right, um, a li- One more little bit of background and then we'll go into this. The, the story, even though it's called the Chronicle of Longinus, it was handed down. It's Longinus writing his testament, much like Adam did and passed down to his son, Seth, and then Seth passed on to his sons until it reached Noah. This is Longinus passing down his story to his son, Theophil, T-H-E-O-P-H-I-L. All right, so here we go, the Chronicle of Longinus. It says this, chapter 1, I write to you, my son, Theophil, regarding everything that you wanted to know when you were young. Remember your father, Longinus, God's servant, over whom God showed mercy and saved him from death, despite that he deserved eternal death because he pierced the head of life with his lance and became unworthy of living. Me, who was raised with love and knowledge about the mysteries of the sun-giving Isis, that's the name um, for Jesus, Yeshua, the Thracians call him Isis, I-S-U-S. The God of our forefathers and the son of Thrace did not recognize him while he was on the cross, a sacrifice for our sins. And like the last monster in the world, I pierced him, considering him to be a worthless slave who had the guts to go against the Caesar. But it was me who was miserable slave under sin and a slave to Rome because I gave my life and my youth to this evil empire being injured many times and blinded in my right eye because of the emperor's ideas he who was not the son of god i killed in his name the one who is the son of god and when i mocked him while he was laughing on the cr- hanging while he was hanging on the cross He did not hate me, nor did he destroy me, something that I deserved at the time. Neither his blood cursed me when it ran into the wound after I had pierced him with my lance, but when his blood sprinkled my evil and blinded eye, it was healed. A drop from his blood made me see, not only physically, but also spiritually. Yes, in that moment, I saw the Son and the eternal God of Thrace, the Dion of Thrace, the God of my fathers, pierced by my spear, suffering because of me, the bearer of my life and my healing. Yes, this was the Son of God who came from his high heaven, for me, and I became his killer in the name of the emperor and his ideas of slaves. Me, pitiful blind being, why didn't I recognize him before so I could fight with my sword for him and die on the cross with him together? A glorious death, leading to eternal life? But he, the emperor of emperors, instead of destroying me as would do the emperor of Rome in his place, he embraced me as his own son of arms. He forgave me and bestowed upon me honor and fame, something that was not suited for me, but only... For one, for one worthy as his own son. Chapter 2. And so after 12 years of this prophetic event of my life, I am writing to you, my son, about these God's secrets. So when you would be mature enough, you would be able to read and remember and understand everything that I told you when you were a child, and these are the great secrets which God's Son himself revealed to me in his mercy, secrets which are intended for God's chosen sons and daughters. Look, I toured with the Roman army around the whole world and all of Mataric, and conquered victoriously many amazing and famous lands. But today I write to you about another land which is most famous, namely the famous land of that matter of the Son of God, which will be soon revealed for the whole world. So the worthy human sons and daughters may go in and go out from it and live there until they will populate it once and for all, like all the rest of the matterics in the world. This matteric is that land of dreams, the desired land, which in antiquity was populated by men and women of God before they visited today's known world. I need to stop here for a second. Uh, In the show that I did previous um, on Hyperborea and paradise and the throne of God, this is one of the accounts that I shared in that particular story, in that particular show. Because, as I said, um, the ancient accounts speak of paradise being located at the North Pole and that this is also where this particular dimensional um, doorway, um, this crack between the worlds, the overlap of the spiritual and the material world, where what Jacob saw as the angels ascending and descending on the ladder of God, that this is that particular place, The that the It's referenced in Isaiah 14 where Lucifer said that he would exalt himself above the stars of God and that he would sit upon the Mount of God and be like the Most High in the sides of the north. This is what what he's talking about. And that New Jerusalem is also located there in the third paradise in the third heaven and that it will descend from from this area and descend to the earth and descending down through the second heavens and arriving as it says in revelation chapter 19 through 21 that it will then settle on what is you know this place of um This area, which another very interesting story is the story of the Smoky God. Uh, For those that know what I'm talking about, this is um, a a story that was written down in the late 1800s. Um, It was a testimony of a guy named Olaf Hansen, who was a Swedish fisherman that spoke about how he and his father uh, at sometime during his early childhood when he was 19 years old that they had made a journey to the polar north and when they arrived there they found that it wasn't frozen but it was very warm and that they found themselves on a river called hilakel which hedekel which is in genesis one of the four rivers um coming out of paradise and he talks about having met this very ancient race of giants that had this incredible technology and yes i am speaking about the spear of longinus uh and the chronicles cortex but anyways um And so anyway, so that's a story that you might want to check out as well. It's called The Smoky God. And after, because they said that on the interior, in the hollow, in the interior portions of the earth, that there was this sun that was much like the sun on the outside of the world, but that it was called the Smoky God. Anyways, um... You should check it out. It's a very interesting story, and it also seems to line up with some of this information. But I'm going to go ahead and continue. All right. This Matarak is the land of dreams, the desired land which in antiquity was populated by men and women of God before they visited today's known world. And while it was close to our world, There were still chosen travelers who crossed between it and the present-day world. Then came the old flood and separated the worlds. The earthly waters detached the matterics from other matterics, like the islands are detached. But the heavenly tables landed far away from the first matteric. Therefore, they were totally lost. Some wise men used to say that the first Matarik rose up to heaven because humans were guilty and had fallen forever from the first Eden. If this was the case or not, only God knows, but it is written somewhere that during many years, in deep antiquity and younger times, many travelers came again across this island, Matarik which is, you know, the name, Matarik is reference for island. Nobody knows how or why, but it happened during unknown periods through seas, airs, waters, and lands, and wrote down secret words which would be understood only by the worthy and dedicated people. They told about the lands of the island the matteric which they saw about the cities and wonders and about other great secrets that they experienced there in time after a time and a half a time the waters of the flood pulled back in stages and the people from the old world started to discover other matterics of the new world the world of the romania And when the Romans assured in time the roads on land and sea, they started successively to colonize and to populate them. The richness of these new lands should make the people richer, more free, and more happy. But alas, as God wanted to give his welfare to all people at the same time, both to the good and the evil ones, Soon the evil one robbed the good one of their share for richness, freedom, and happiness. And because the evil one chose not to follow God and his law of wisdom and love, expressed through the Son of God and the Almighty, the word of creation, Isis the Son, they lusted after the unjust law and felt satisfaction at enslaving and humiliating people through, wa- through laws which serve such violation. Therefore, God made an oath before his righteous name that after the waters had pulled back, even the heavenly waters, and after the matter will come closer to Terakia, like an island in which reigns justice then only the worthy the righteous and the chosen who practice love wisdom and goodness will populate it that is once who embrace the ones who embrace the son of god as their god king and lord i learned this when i also became a follower of christ these things were mentioned through many godly men in antiquity. All right. Um, I, I, I said I wasn't going to read from the footnotes, but I do want to share just to help you where it mentions matterics here in this particular text. In the footnotes, it says that it, it's connected to continents, to mainlands, or islands. And uh, where it mentions the empire of Romana, it's uh, referencing the Roman empire, and Terakia is referenced as the twin land. Chapter three. And I'll check the chat room here in just a short bit, just to see if you have any commentary when we come back from the first break, and I'll I'll share it. Um, But I I hope that you are enjoying this text. It's absolutely fascinating to me. Therefore, I also write to you, my dear Theophil, because what God promised is also for you and your righteous descendants, that is to bring you to God's land, the city of God, which might even be that Jerusalem, because in the book of Adam and Eve, it speaks about this land at the north. It's called Jerusalem, which means peace, and Salim, um, which means truth. Oh, no, Jerusalem means truth, and Salim means peace. So Jerusalem actually means the land or the city of truth and peace. All right which might even be that Jerusalem that descends among the people of his glory. So he's actually re- referencing New Jerusalem here. And as you already know from the holy writings, the parallel land, the other one, which in the language of your wise ancient forefathers, is called Terakia, the twin land. This is namely the land of the ancient, Trachea, where was protected the open way of the First Mataric, or Terakia, for the long and faithful times. Therefore, the writings is true when it says, We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody, for Second Hour. I'm your host, Zen Garcia. This is Momentary Zen here on Studio B at Revolution Radio on freedomslips.com. And as the commercial break um, declared, we are the largest listener-supported, commercial-free and corporate-free radio network on the Internet and as far as uh, available anywhere else in in the world. And so um, there's, from last count, the last I heard, there were over... 92 different hosts coming to you 24-7 on both Studios A and Studio B. And that um, in order for us to continue doing what we do and utilizing Revolution Radio as a platform for bringing forth all of the esoteric information that we do share with you as listening audience uh, in fellowship, if you can, those of you that are willing and that, can't afford to do so without putting yourself out in kind of any kind of hardcore way, especially take care of your families and your children and make sure you have enough to eat and all that. But those of you that do have discretionary funds, please do go to freedomslips.com, click on the donate button, and even for the price of a happy meal or for one outing at your favorite fast food restaurant. Um, that you can buy access to the archives. For $4.95 a month, you can buy access to the archives and gain uh, download capacity for each one of the various hosts and all of the shows, all of the weekly shows. Um, and you can burn them, MP3, download them to your computer, put them on your iPad, iPod, uh, you know, your MP3 player, Whatever, listen to them as you ride back and forth from work, uh, as you're jogging, doing housework, yard work, whatever. It's a great way to spend your time, and it also gives you a chance to listen to others you might not otherwise have had chance to um, because of limited schedule or limited availability. And so know that we appreciate you in advance, and thank you um, in advance as well. All we right, going to get back into the Chronicle of Longinus because I know I'm going to quickly run out of time. I'm only on Chapter 3, and so we're going to try to make it through the fullness of the text. Also, I've decided that um, I'm going to do a show very soon after I'm done with this text on the Smoky God, and I will read that because it, it won't take long. I think I can do it in probably one show. Uh, and share commentary with you about it. And I think you, you know that you will enjoy it, it will bless your life, and it will also give you introspection into what is the most amazing story as far as the story of Olaf Hansen. All right, continuing, chapter 3, verse 4. Therefore, the writing is true when it says, In Thrace is the root of Terakia, Where are the gates to God's Son's city of justice? In Thrace, the devoted or the initiated come up and go down in the matter of the immortal and the anointed, because Thrace and Terakia were initially one. And see, I inform you joyfully that in our time, the Son of God, Christ, accomplished the great salvation for the chosen people from all human nationalities and kinds. And therefore, the angel who is guarding Eden withdrew his fiery sword. How interesting is that? Through the Son of God, the word Jesus, who is Christ, and the redemption of Atom's bloodline. The time already came when people will hear the sound of the archangel and the angelic pipes, and the gates of the city will again be opened in thrace for all the chosen. And Terakia, the matter of the anointed, got closer to this land, and there is a way, path, secured by the chosen who already started to come and to populate it. All right, now I have to explain this portion because if you don't understand um, the story of Christ and what he did as far as the cross, you can't make sense of this aspect of the flaming sword, um, you know, the way of paradise, that the flaming sword, the cherubim that were put to protect the way back into paradise and to keep Adam and Eve from going back into paradise and kept them banished here to the earth. Now, if you understand and know the story of Christ's descent into hell, which is chronicled in the Gospel of Nicodemus, in the second portion of that text called the Acts of Pontius Pilate, that it details that when Yeshua was separated, when he was dead, and his body was laying in the... Uh, tomb of his uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, that Yeshua descended down into Sheol and breaking open the gates of iron and the doors of brass and um, emptying out Sheol, uh, all except for Judas and Satan. Satan was also in turn into Sheol during that time. But all of the righteous patriarchs from Adam to the thief that died on the cross, all of them were baptized in the Archerusian Lake, and they were allowed to enter into New Jerusalem, into the city of God. And that was the first resurrection, what is referenced in Scripture as the first resurrection and the righteous they were also the first fruits of the resurrected dead and so yeshua in fulfilling the feast of the levitical feast the first four feasts of of his father yahuwah or yahweh yahweh elohim he was the passover lamb and um you know, that, that died before Passover, his body was entered into the, into the tomb of his father, Joseph of Arimathea on the feast of unleavened bread, which was a Sabbath. And then he was resurrected as the high priest in order. And he also resurrected Adam all the way, as I said, to the thief that had died on the cross, the children of Adam's line, he resurrected them and then gave them over to um, Michael who baptized them. And then he presented all of them as the first fruits of the resurrected dead to brought them before the father. And so he was the high priest that did the public wave offering, which if you understand the Levitical feast, you'll know what I'm talking about. And so he was the high priest, and he was also uh, part of the first fruits because he was the first one to be resurrected. And then because he resurrected all the others, the, these, this is counted as the first resurrection. And because of that, that's when the cherubim and the way to paradise was opened again. And Adam and Eve and all of the other righteous of Adam's line They were allowed to enter, to not only leave Sheol, but to enter again into paradise. They had their bright natures and their immortality restored, and they had a return to their first estate, which is what will happen for the rest of us when the rapture happens and um, when Yeshua takes the judgment seat. So I just wanted to explain that to you so that you can understand why it was that the flaming sword guard, the cherubim separating paradise from the garden of Eden, which, you know, is on here on the earth. And we're currently in a fallen state in a fallen form living in a fallen world, but that Adam and David, Abraham, Abraham, all of the patriarchs, Isaac, um, even Mary and Mary Magdalene, all the, you know, the patriarchs and matriarchs of the uh, ancient Hebrew people, they're in paradise awaiting us. All right, let us continue. Uh, which is why it said. Um, The land and there is a way path secured by the chosen who already started to come and to populate it. God the Almighty gave himself a promise and hope for a new world in it, a world of justice, peace, and love for all who are worthy of the Lamb. But the days of Rome and the empire of Caesar are counted because in it was found everything evil, From the time of the creation of the world and God will visit in due time the day of his great wrath. Therefore, even I was stimulated by God and found it necessary to inform you in writing about everything that God allowed me about the matter of Terakia and God's famous city where the chosen one from all human races will dwell. This is this is the new Noah's ark through which God himself will save all his faithful followers, those those anointed who were chosen by the spirit of God already before the creation of the world. Remember I told you about uh, our pre-existence and how the most high had known us all before um, we entered into the womb of our mothers as he said in Jeremiah for Jeremiah and how Jeremiah had been um, you know was foreordained to be a prophet unto the nations that he knew all of us in the same way and as it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we were all predestinated uh, and that we all have pre-existence and that this life and this time that we spend in our flesh bodies, this is our chance again to re-determine our allegiance and to, uh, um, to present ourselves as the disciples and the followers of the Father and the Son and to have an eternal inheritance and take part in salvation, which counts us and numbers us among the elect so that we can take part in that world that um, Longinus is here speaking about. All right. By, chosen by the Spirit of God already before the creation of the world and who will enter to God's holy city and in his eternal glory. Amen. All right. Chapter 4. And see how it happened when the Lord chose me to be his messenger of his great deed in the days when the portals to his city were opened again? I was quite young when I received Christ as my Savior during that sacred day when I met him on the cross, recognizing him and was healed. After he died, the earth was shaken with horror, and the whole nature became stunned and darkened, and I pierced him, and immediately after that, the crowd standing before the cross dispersed, and heavy rain started beating the earthly ground. The soldiers remained on their post because there was no other option than to guard, and curse the bad weather. Right at the cross stood a righteous man who was one of his disciples, he saw how my eye was healed through his wounds, from which his blood sprinkled my eye. And then he took quickly a cup and put it under the pierced wound, so he might gather an outpouring of the divine liquid. His name is Joseph. Joseph handed over the filled cup to another disciple called John, and together with some weeping women He hurried up back to the city. I was confused and my heart was broken. I grabbed Joseph's clothes and I asked him to tell me more about this righteous man on the cross because my eye was healed through his blood. Joseph told me where he lived in the city of Arimathea and invited me to his home and told me that I could visit him anytime I wanted because I had to guard my post, and I could not leave my soldiers till I was replaced. He asked me for permission to remove the body of the deceased righteous man so he could bury him before the evening. I immediately sent a soldier to the city and asked for permission from the council, telling him about the approaching sacred feasts of the Jews so that the body might be removed and handed over to his relatives after I verified his death. I did receive permission, and Joseph's people removed the body from the cross, which I returned um, from the cross. They carried out to his family's graveyard. By this, I was released from my post, and I returned to the city. The following days, I could not sleep. I had fever, and I was very sick, and so the authorities gave me vacation so I could get well. I got well when I went to Arimathea to meet that man, Joseph. This occurred on the seventh day after they crucified Isis. Joseph received me gladly in his home and told me immediately that Isis, Jesus, proved him to be really the son of God. Because three days after the crucifixion, he resurrected In Joseph's eyes, I saw so much conviction and strong belief regarding this fact, and so it was difficult for me to be skeptical or to doubt him. And myself, I already could see through my blind eye which he healed and which no doctor in the world could cure. Besides that, I could recognize in Isis, who hung on the cross, my ancient God. The God of my forefathers, and had no intention to be uh, the God of my forefathers, and had no intention to be skeptical because I was convinced by my own marvel. All who were present in the house of Joseph were emotional and eager, and said how they met Isis again alive and how they spoke to him. When a man was among them and listened, he could not reject for a moment that this divine meaning had really happened. For me, in that moment, it was enough proof that Isis did resurrect. While I was a guest in Joseph's home, I was presented to two sisters, Maria, Mary, and Martha, Martha, and their brother, Lazar, Lazarus. They were also here as guests for several days helping Joseph with the receiving and dispatching a lot of people who were followers of Isis who wanted to hear directly from the lips of these witnesses about his resurrection. I was most impressed by the brother Lazar because he was old but with great looks, a man who could express himself well. He was very gentle and a good-hearted interlocutor, so we came closer to each other word by word, and naturally I asked him to tell me something more about Isis, and this is what he told me. Chapter 5. I am delivering to you Lazarus' own words as they were because I was so impressed by them. Therefore, I remember what Lazar said word by word as he stood before me right now. He said, See, Longinus, all brothers and sisters know me, and they know that I was dead when the Son of God Isis resurrected me from the death. But not everybody knows that after the Son of God conquered death, I could not die for a century because it is given to man to die once, and after that, judgment, God's judgment. The name of the man who gave me life is Jesus the Anointed. I say a man because I thought that he was a man, but he was not a man. He just looked like a man, and because of that, we all believe that he was just a man. When he resurrected me, I understood that he is the son of the living God, God himself, from God and the very life. I asked him, Lazar, why are you so sure that you cannot die? Though he did not speak like a man having a normal discussion, he spoke in a way as if he had an inspired monologue, as a man who proclaimed God's message, or like a disciple from the ancient mystery school, personifying m- a mysterious hero. He preached as if I was one of his flocks, one of his faithful listeners. Therefore, I could not interrupt him, because if I did, I would end his narration, led by a bright spirit, and this way I would miss something important, which the spirit wanted to reveal to me. So I w- was quiet, and I listened, and Lazar continued his usual unusual confession. My sister Maria presented me to him because he told her everything, what she did in her life, and revealed the secrets of her heart. He is a prophet, she said. Come to see him because nobody spoke like him ever before. So I, I went and I met him on a wedding where he and his disciples were participating. He was handsome, even beautiful, very clever like a wise man. When he spoke to somebody, he radiated so much confidence and kindness and knowledge about everything, so you could listen to him for hours. I was wondering where he did learn all of this and who taught him, because we did not have such rabbis who knew so much. I have, I have listened to them teaching the law, but I haven't seen someone similar to him. Therefore, I was in a hurry to invite him to my home and even to become his friend because men like him are very rare and who wouldn't like to become friend with such educated and knowledgeable man? People said that he is royal from the bloodline of the Israeli kings. I was not sure if he would have time for me and my sisters, because he was always surrounded by many people and important people and it was even difficult to approach him. People stood tight around him constantly and all well-known and notable people tried to invite him to their homes. But I was lucky because he was well disposed towards my sister Maria and Marta, as well as if he paid more attention to them than normally. I thought that maybe he was interested in Maria because he was not a married man and Maria was virgin and very beautiful to look at and not a few men paid her attention in more particular way. But it seemed that Maria, after Isis appeared in her life, did not show any interest in other men. Love is something great and I thought that maybe she is really lucky if such a well-educated and influential man would become her husband. This would be a great honor to the whole family. Of course, in those times, I had no idea who Isis really was, and I, had, and I was naive and ignorant with human thoughts because I was a loving brother who wished the best for my sisters and did not think as a spiritual man who sees things as others would who were with Isis and who were more perceptible. One day, one of his disciples called Peter told me this, Lazarus, our teacher is from God, the promised, the anointed one, the branch from David, who will save us from our destroyer. We are prepared to die for him. All the prophets had witnessed that he will save people from slavery and from the sins of our fathers. God's spirit is with him, and whatever he asks from God, From his father it will be given to him. He is the king of Israel and the prophet, about whom it was prophesied in the Torah and the prophets. Are you with us, and are you prepared to follow him till the end? I didn't know what to say, so I exclaimed, well, why not? Those words from the brother Peter made me very confused, for it seemed to me that He was speaking of something which is dangerous, something against the authorities, something which I did not understand and about something that I was not prepared to risk, that is, to risk my family. It sounded to me like a rebellion, something which was linked to the zealots who planned a revolt against Caesar of Rome. I felt like being stung by a wasp. I could not imagine my sister bound to this man no matter how much I liked him and no matter how much I admired him. No, I wanted the best future of my sister and not being married to a rebellion. We'll be right back to pick it up. All right, welcome back, everybody, for final segment. Um, I I know that I won't be able to make it through the entirety of this text, and so I'll do a follow-up next week, and I'll be able to finish it up because, as I said, I, I have already in my possession, 11 chapters, and I'm only on chapter 6. And so uh, we'll follow up next week with the remaining of this particular text, and and then I'll share a little bit more information about some of the other as far as the Thracian Chronicles. But I'm going to continue on because uh, what I'm about to get into is very important because it shows to you that Yeshua was not here for anything as far as the carnal aspects of the world. He was here to fulfill the prophecies, to fulfill the scriptures, and that his role and mission was something of greater significance than even the apostles could understand during that time. All right, so continue. And also I'll say this, that this text also trumps and debunks that whole... Um, Da Vinci Code, and even though who Lazarus Lazar is talking about, um, you know, the, the whole Da Vinci Code that Yeshua married Mary of Magdalene and that they had um, a daughter and that the, the daughter then, you know, brought in the Merovingian kings of the line of this Illuminati line. Uh, anyways, I'll continue with the story. One day when my sisters were preparing supper and when the disciples were out working, I stayed in private with Isis for a while. I used this opportunity asking him following, Teacher, people say that you're preparing war against the Caesar. Is that, is this true? But Isis responded, Lazarus, what kind of thoughts is troubling your heart? Maria is safe because she chose the good share the share of God's kingdom and deeds which are given her from God. Don't you understand that I came to free my people and to give them abundance of life? Rome is doomed but will not fall by human hands. I did not come for Rome but for the chosen. I came to give light to the world, and who follows me will not be in darkness anymore, and I will have the light of life. Do you understand this? Let's say that I did not understand, but his words were filled with peace and comprehension for my concerns. So I could not say anything more, but just said, following, teacher, I trust you, but I beg you, if your intentions towards my sister is unsecure and if it depends only on you, so don't torment her heart because she loves you very much and her heart would be broken if she felt herself deceived and abandoned. Isa smiled and put his hand on Lazarus' shoulder, saying to him, "'Don't worry, Lazarus, your sister knows me better than to think that the God the Father sent me to look for a wife. I am promised to his virgin Israel and devoted to all people, but your sister is most prominent among them. I know that at the moment you don't understand what I am saying, but when God's Spirit will come to you, You will see through my words and you will understand. Don't worry, therefore you and your family is safe. If it was not, I myself would tell you that. But now do not be concerned about anything, for I have much more important work to do than worrying about Rome and Caesar. I wanted to ask him more, but two of his disciples came to my home, and it was not suitable to talk before them but I thought long to- for a long time what his words meant. Apparently, the relations between him and my sister was not of that character of which I was imagining, linked to a marriage or just habitual love, like between a man and a woman. But then, what was the relationship about? What other close relation could there be if not love relation between a man and a woman? Maybe should, I should ask my sister herself. After a couple of days when we were alone at home, I asked Maria what she was thinking of Isis, if she liked him as a man and if he was interested in her as a woman. She looked at me and started laughing, something which irritated me a bit because it made me uncomfortable and I felt like a little boy who asked his mother why men and women are kissing each other. You don't understand anything, isn't it? She said and hugged him. What do I not understand? I saw you when you kissed him and once he kissed you on the forehead, I replied confused. My beloved brother, this was not that kind of a kiss of which you are thinking of. Yes, I love him, but not in this way. At least it is not allowed for me to love him this way. He is just not, he is just not a man like others, a man who would belong to a woman and have family He is married to God's Spirit. He is not just a man. If you knew him like you know me, then you would understand. He does not think like other humans. He is something much bigger, which belongs to the whole world and all people. I think that he isn't just a prophet. He is rather from another world and not from this world. He is God. I don't know how to explain it to you because myself, I don't understand you have gone mad i shouted there are no such people in the world there are people who are more educated and more intelligent than others there are high ranking people yes saints and anointed kings and maybe even prophets but there does not exist people who are gods this is straight ahead blasphemy the god of israel is one and he is not human He cannot be here among us because he dwells in the highest of the heavens. But you and I cannot see him, nor can we hear his voice. I don't know what is happening with you since you talk like this. Don't tell anybody about this because you will bring shame and disgrace to our house. And then nobody will want to take you for a wife. Why, my sister, what are you? What are you short of in my house? So you started to imagine such things. Why is your heart ill? May God be merciful towards you, and may he find for you a worthy husband. Then you will get better, my dear sister. God have mercy on us and redeem my sister from this mad, falling in love with this unreachable rabbi. Dear brother, I am not against you that you don't believe me and that you think that I am in love and mad. I thank you for loving me and for your concern about me. If I was in your place, I would react in the same way. If I didn't see with my own eyes things which Isis is doing, which no human can make or do but God only. For example, what things? asked Lazarus. I want to know very much with what things he did impress you so much and have deceived you. Well, for example that he can walk on water in the sea like you walk on the road. He can speak to the water and the wind and the storm, and they obey like soldiers who listen to their general. When he touches a leper, a leper, the sores are withdrawing and healed before our eyes. He can transform water into wine every time he wants to. And several times he fed big crowds with some little pieces of bread. After people gathered the rest of bread, then there were many baskets which were filled with bread, and the crowd ate till their stomachs were full. When the possessed meet him, the beasts leave their bodies, shouting, and before our eyes he heals the sick from any kind of disease whenever he, whenever he is asked for help. I saw how the bent people were made upright and healed, and how the crippled and the handicapped were healed. The blind from birth got their sight, and the mute started to hear and to speak, and all this did not happen once or twice, but so many times that I wonder what would happen if people brought to him all the sick in the same time which would be healed before our eyes. Is it possible that the days of illness in the world are ending?" You yourself, brother, tell me if you have ever heard about such things, because I haven't, but now myself, I have seen it with my own eyes. Tell me if Isis is not God or the Son of God, and then who is he? Not even Moses, Elijah, Elise, or whoever from the prophets could perform such great miracles. Well, Since Isis is more powerful and greater than the prophets, then who is he if you can explain it? Chapter 7. I responded like a concerned brother. Look, Maria, I have also heard that people speak of these miracles. I accepted that parts of what people say might be true. I personally did not witness these miracles, therefore I cannot confirm it or reject it. But didn't the prophets do similar things before? Don't misunderstand me. I am prepared to accept that Isis is God's prophet and a great healer, and even that he is the anointed and the branch from David. But still, my sister, it is not the same compared to what you have said, that he is God. We compared to the Hellenes, do not believe in many gods. If we did... I would accept that one of them had descended to earth because I know that you don't lie to me when you say that you saw with your own eyes all these miracles. We believe in one sole God, the God of Israel. There is no way that God would leave his heavenly throne surrounded by seraphim and cherubs in order to come and live as one of us. I see that this man eats and drinks water and sleeps just like all of us. Why would he do that if he is God? I thought that God does not need all these human things. Think again and you will see that you are deceived. If he is a prophet, yes, but is he God? No. Lazarus, does God listen to sinners? No. Does he listen to liars? Of course not. Then how do you explain what the teacher's This teacher has said to some of us who are his closest followers that God is his father and that he dwells inside him because he did say that. He said that the son cannot do anything without his father who is inside him. He said, I and my father are one and the same. If he lied to us, then he must be a sinner and God wouldn't listen to him. And no one miracle would happen, but God is with him and confirms every word which comes from his mouth. What does it mean, do you think? Well, it means that he is the Son of God. And since the offspring from the horse is a horse, then the offspring from God is God. As much as that I can tell you, even if I am an ordinary girl, Like father, like son. This is enough for me to know for sure that Isis is the son of God. Do you have some proof against it? Apparently, I didn't have explanation against this logic. Besides that, this was a female logic, but still it was logic. Well, we will see. Time will show what what is what and who is who. I just hope that you will not suffer from this, I replied quickly and ended the conversation for this evening. But I couldn't fall asleep for long hours because these answers and the logic from Maria bothered the whole of my being. At the end, I fell asleep and had the most particular dream. It was so particular and so vivid that while I was dreaming, I thought it happened in reality. In the dream, I saw a royal chariot and a man who sat down and who looked similar to the Caesars. There were four horses, which were the strongest and most blazing I had ever seen. They galloped quite fast on its way to Jerusalem and caused a cloud of dust, which surrounded me from all sides because I was standing on the very highway. The tramp and the uproar and the neigh from the horses caused such turmoil, so I got scared and tried to run away but I hobbled and fell down on the side of the road and then the chariot made a turn and came towards me terrified I saw now that the geared horses were not horses at all but actually ferocious lions which roared with all strength and from their mouth came out fiery breath I made an attempt to get up so I could try to run away again but I could not move I just managed to shout The fire chariot and the cherubs of God of Israel, God have mercy and protect me. I covered my eyes with the hand so I wouldn't be able to see the face of the Lord and so that I may live. Then I saw a familiar image which calmed me down. He uttered some words to the lions in unknown speech and they bended their tails like obedient little dogs at his feet. I lifted up my head and I saw a face of a man. It was Isis. He looked at me and began to laugh, friendly, and then he uttered again something to the animals. For some reason, I saw now clearly that these animals were not oxen or bulls and not lions. They bent forward their thick necks and tightened up the big oxen cart on the way to the city. I remained alone on the road and thought about how this oxen cart had scared me, which Isis conveyed. Probably he was going to Jerusalem for the the festivities, I reasoned. I was wondering to whom belonged this cart. I don't think that the owner is a plowman or a sower. First he looked like a kingly man from the house of Caesar. Wait, wait, why did I see the chariot of God of Israel? what was this? And I woke up. I assumed that it was improbable for a man to dream things like this. But I said to myself, after all, this Isis is a remarkable man. I can bet that when he sat there in the chariot, he looked like some God. But see, here I am and alive. A man cannot see God's face and stay alive even in the dream. And then I remembered Maria's words, The Son of God is like father, like son. And now it occurred to me that I have never heard up until now that God had a son. If he had a son, then when was he born and from what woman? I also remembered what Isis himself had said, Your sister knows me better than to think that God the Father sent me to look for a wife and I have much more important work to do than worrying about Rome and Caesar. No wonder I saw him in the Caesar's chariot. He has something in common with the Caesar, but I also saw him in the chariot of God. So Maria is certainly right when she said that Isis had something in common with God. This was not an ordinary man. I couldn't chase it out from my consciousness. This dream means something, but what? I would be aware of it sooner, sooner than I assumed because I got sick, chapter eight. I wasn't just sick, but very sick. I had to lay in the bed and couldn't lift up my head. So bad it was. Maria and Martha called for a doctor who gave me to drink some herb, but it didn't help. Then they called for Isis, for he for sure could cure me, but he and his disciples were far away, so I didn't live enough to see him. I couldn't bear it anymore to see myself from the sides, how I lay down on the bed and groan. I felt really bad, and when I was carrying away, I saw myself how I left and entered again the room. And in the same time, I saw myself from the sides, how I lay on the bed having glassy eyes. I realized that I was dead because I saw my sisters hugging my body and crying inconsolably. The neighbors came also, but I was not waiting anymore. Now I felt easy and I flew away to some hill outside the city. I saw the whole of my life before me like on a screen, and he, many faces of relatives and acquaintances. I thought that I was already in the bosom of Abraham, or in the Elysian fields as the Hellenes called them. But while I was in the hills, it suddenly darkened and it got scary. I saw a globe of light, and when I came closer, I was confronted by some dark people who were very evil and whose appearance was disgusting. I tried to resist, but they were much stronger, so I shouted for help. Unfortunately, nobody came to rescue me. They dragged me to a dark room, something which remained of a cave, and unclothed me. Then they started to mock me. They put me on a rocky sink line and began to fill it with boiling water. They felt satisfaction by watching me, how the water burned me, and how I screamed in pain. They felt my body everywhere with their repulsive, bony, and long hands with crooked nails, and then they pricked me with heated spits and yelled with joy and satisfaction. Their faces were very evil but hidden behind masks. These were not humans. They were some odd deformed creatures from another world, probably demons or devils. There was a bad smell everywhere, stink and filth and screams from the suffering that I couldn't see. The vaults of the caves were filled with smoke and steam, and they were glowing because of the fire. Everything was surrounded with horror and hopelessness. After that, they bound me with chains to some funeral stone where I heard whispers from the other dead and I saw decomposed bodies and perishable remains on the ground of the cave. The darkness was indescribable and the horror of hopelessness filled everything all around. I was in pain, but this time because of freezing cold. Besides that, I felt terrible thirst and hunger. A new... The same tormentors grabbed and inflicted on me again the disgusting smell of the fiery room and the cave and the torment with the boiling water. They mocked me again, but this time in more disgusting ways, which I cannot describe because I'm ashamed of it. After that, they bound me again with chains in the dark and the cold where dwells terror and hopelessness. The dead bodies were decomposing and groaning with terror and fear by going to eternal death. And now I was sure that this place was hell, where the souls of the dead can never leave. There was no Elysian fields and no bosom of Abraham. There was only pain, endless pain, and there is nobody who can rescue you. I don't know why, but during unexpected moment. I recalled my dream in which I saw Isis as God in the chariot of God of Israel and the strong lions which rushed on with victorious roars. If he could just come here with that chariot, with those cherub beings, and to tear apart my tormentors. Oh, I would give everything if this could happen. Only he takes me out from this horrible place. And when I prayed secretly in my heart this to happen, then I heard tremendous rumble in the womb of the earth. The vaults of the cave began to shake, and the big columns of stone were collapsing. I saw that the rocks of the vaults were supported by huge human-like colossuses of stone, which began to move, and they ground with, groaned with fear and pain. If something was scaring and tormenting them, Groaning, the colossus asked themselves, What is this? Who is disturbing our kingdom? Suddenly I heard quite powerful voice, as it came from many tubes, which uttered only one word, a word which was tearing down the walls of this underground kingdom. The name was Isis, and it went over and over, and then it strengthened, and the vibration of the echo Rings so tangible in all the underground vaults that it was awakening the hope in the depth of the human soul. The faces of the stone